0: Good morning, Oikos. How are y'all doing? Awesome. Did you guys notice how beautiful the campus looked this morning? So Jason organized a group of people. You guys want to give thanks to Jason for organizing some people? If you, if you were one of those people, go ahead and stand up, because we're going to give thanks for you and give praise that the Lord worked through you. So, if you haven't seen the campus before, then you're kind of going, well, I'm not sure. There's obviously more work to be done. (laughs) Um, I found a bathroom yesterday. (laughs) Literally found a bathroom. We had found it before, but I had forgotten that we had that one. And then I realized it really needed to be cleaned. So that's what I did. I cleaned a bathroom that was really disgusting. But we have another bathroom. Isn't that awesome? So I want to give you some news. Not everything is finalized, but we may have the church, just as you turn on Lindell, Lindell Baptist, they're actually going through the same process as Bethany Lutheran, who used to exist here, went through back in September or so. So they're closing down, but not completely. And what they've decided to do is to give their property to Ecclesia. And Ecclesia is going to have a second campus right down the street but Lindell Baptist is going to continue to exist. They've got just over 10 people and they're going to continue to worship. However, they're renovating their campus or Ecclesia is. And so we're going to try to provide a spot on our campus on Sunday mornings for Lindell Baptist. So that's one of the reasons why we were cleaning out yesterday is to prepare for another church family to come and worship here, not with us, but at the same time. So if you see some people who are, they're a little more advanced in their years because they've been longtime members, (laughs) (laughs) lifelong members at Lindell Baptist, and if you see a few people, help them out because they're going to need to know where bathrooms are. They're going to need to know where um, the facilities, how they work. They may exit or enter in here and be confused that this is not what they were looking for, ask if they're here for Lindell Baptist, and then we're probably going to be housing them in the library. So as you just be watching, we should be doing that anyways. For anyone who comes in that you're not sure who they are, introduce yourself, invite them to be a part of what's going on. And they may even have a few people who are looking for Lindell Baptist, and we can help people who are looking for a church find that place. So they are elderly people. I want to make sure that we take care of them. Give up your parking space. Park a little further away. So love them as the Lord has loved us. Amen? Amen. Okay. I'm excited that we get to do this because I think it's a part of our story as we plant churches that sometimes our hands are not intimately involved with that church. Sometimes we're just providing a space, but the Lord is using us in many, many ways and that's very exciting. So we're in Luke, we're in, in the Coffee Cup Coffee Cup Kairos. Kairos is when the Lord does something in your life and you realize he's working that you pause for a moment and think about what is he saying to me? And this week as we were going through scripture, Luke chapter 4 really stuck out to me. But to give you a little background and context, Luke, in his gospel, masterfully connects both fully God and fully man in Jesus. And if you look through the first few chapters, you see the lineage of Jesus, and you see how he connects all the way back to Adam. And so he's fully man. And then a chapter later, Luke talks about the baptism, where he says, the voice of the Father from the heaven spoke, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's fully God, fully human, fully God. It's Jesus, God in flesh. And he came in flesh so that he could take our sin and free us and give us eternal life through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. This identity that he's been given, fully man, yet fully God, is then tested by Satan for 40 days in the desert. Tested severely with his appetite, with his approval, and with his ambition. Satan puts out one test after another to see if Jesus would falter, and Jesus wins the battle. As he wins that battle, he wins the same battle for us. And his identity isn't changed it is fulfilled, that he is truly the son of God who cannot fall into temptation. So even though we may, he does not. And this is where Jesus officially then begins his public ministry. And we're in chapter four of Luke, the gospel of Luke. So you can look it up in the Bibles that are next to you or on your smartphones if you want to follow along that way. I also have it up on the screens. And we're going to start in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now, Nazareth, the town of Nazareth, just geographically was very close to this great city called Sepphoris. During the time of Jesus, during his birth, through his adulthood, they were building this great city, Sepphoris, which makes a lot of sense because we often believe or we've heard, how many of you heard that Jesus was a carpenter? So I'm not going to like crush that for you today. Tecton is a Greek word that is actually used for Joseph, his father, and for Jesus, that they were tectons. Now, tectons aren't necessarily just carpenters. They're builders. So it makes sense that they would go to Nazareth while the building of this great city, Sepphoris, was going on so that they had work. So in this time, these builders would come around, and the little synagogues that were found in each of these communities, many of those guilds, the builder guilds, would come together. So when Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, he more than likely was reassociating with those he had built with in the past. Now we don't know this for sure, but I think it's a pretty good assumption. So these people didn't just know of Jesus, they may have known him very well. They may have hammered right next to him or poured the cement together to make sure that the building materials and foundations were going well or carved the block of stone to set it there in the corner. And Jesus could have been right next to one of these builders, these tectons. So these individuals that he was speaking to and invited to read God's word in front of, We're truly his community. Now, historically, your identity would come from the place that you're from. We have little glimpses of this even in our society today. So, I'm from the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. People would say you're a country boy, or you're from the backwoods. You're from small-town America. You're from that little town called Ainsworth, Nebraska. But we don't really, most of the people don't go, that's Aaron from Ainsworth. That identity kind of has left. But if you notice throughout Scripture, Jesus of Nazareth sticks with him. Whether he's in Jerusalem, wherever he is in the countryside, they say, that's Jesus of Nazareth. Their identity is strongly linked to the community that they're from. Now, as we go into this, they no doubt, these builders, this building guild, knew of Jesus, saw him grow up, but because he went back to Galilee, if you look at the scriptures, they know that he can do amazing things. This hometown was excited to receive kind of their hero back home. The best thing I can relate it to is if you... How many of you have watched American Idol? It's all done now, but in the past, whatever, 15 years. Have you ever watched the final couple episodes of that? You guys are lying. Are you serious? There's like five people that raised their hand. Okay. Everyone has had to have watched at least part of one season. Right? If you didn't, then... Don't go blank on me. But when the final contestants go home, there's a huge reception for them. Whether it's a small town or a large town, everyone is excited to receive their final contestant of American Idol. Huge reception. This is kind of what I would imagine was happening for Jesus as he returned to Nazareth. They were excited. Jesus who is doing amazing things, is now home. And so they ask him to read the scroll. And they just happen to pass him the scroll of Isaiah. And we're in verse 17. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Big words from Jesus. Big words that changed how people began to view who he was. In fact, Jesus even took isaiah 61 and he changed the words there a little bit if you read isaiah 61 you'll see that it doesn't it speaks about a judgment a coming judgment and jesus omits this part and why is this because jesus knew that the judgment that isaiah spoke about would not be exercised on these people that he's speaking to be exercised on him that that judgment he would take to the cross, that judgment that was coming would not be for the people, but it would be for him so that he could save them from that. He was here to bring them good news, freedom, healing, and God's great favor. Now, if you were from Nazareth, this was awesome news for you. Jesus was talking about the oppression that you're under, you'd be released from. Jesus was talking that the taxes that so burdened you, you would be released from. Jesus was saying you will be free. And not only that, but there will be abundance in your life because God's good favor will be upon you. That actually sounds like some good news for us, right? Does anyone want abundance? Come on. Don't be scared. I want abundance. I always think I want abundance, right? The problem is is that the Nazareth people know him as a builder. But today, Jesus says that he's not just a builder. He's the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for. To free the captives. To invite them into a new life with him. I believe that just as they heard all of this, they were ready to follow him wherever he would go. That's why they sat there in amazement. And they heard his words, and they received it gracefully. But just as Jesus gave all these great words, then he continued with even more words. And the attitudes quickly changed. Verse 23. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there will be many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. Things in your mind when you start to hear the challenge from Jesus can be, wait a minute, God's favor isn't on us. He's going to give it to someone else. He's going to give it to those foreigners. He's going to rest his favor on sinners. What about us? We don't want him. Let's try to get rid of him. When you experience Jesus, you either accept him or reject him. That's just not a one-time decision. That's a daily decision. That's an hourly decision. That's a minute-by-minute, second-by-second decision. When you're following Jesus, you either accept him or you reject him. We are just like those people in Nazareth. How quickly we can be excited about Jesus. We can sing some great songs. We can be excited. We can walk into church doors and be like, I got up this morning. Sometimes we experience him in the middle of our oppression. In our deepest times. In our sickness or maybe even in the very trap that our sin has created. We experience Jesus because he goes where the darkness is. He goes where the lonely go. He seeks out the sinners. He seeks out you and me. But the problem is, is that we have lived with scarcity so long We have lived with so little, so long in some of these areas that when he offers abundance, we get scared. We become fearful. We desire slavery over freedom. We'd rather stay in our sickness than be restored to health. Because just like the Hebrews in the Old Testament, we long after Egypt, even when God is offering us a great new land. So we're going to play a game. You ready? It's a little serious here, right? It probably is going to be a little more serious, but hold on. We're going to play a game. So get ready. This is what would you do? Game. What would you do? Okay, so you've been talking to this really good friend, a a friend from childhood. So you can kind of fill in that name, fill in that name, whoever it may be. You're talking to this friend, but this particular friend has been a lifelong Jew. They're very committed, they go to synagogue, they practice, they're not just by name only Jew. They, they practice Judaism. You can fill that in with any one of your friends. They don't have to be a Jew. You could say any other religion other than Christianity. Or maybe you can even put in Christianity in there. Just kind of mix it up a little. So they've been a lifelong whatever. And she asks you, do you really believe everything that Jesus says? and I'm going to fill this in for you. You go, absolutely. I follow Jesus. I believe what he says. And then they say, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Since Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you stand with the words of Jesus or do you push Jesus away? Now this game is what would you do? But it may be appropriate to even say, or what have you done? I want you to reflect. Do you stand with the words of Jesus or do you push him away? Next thing, you've got debt accumulating. Anyone accumulating any debt? i Boy, we are we are waiting to get out of all our construction. Can I just say that? And we are looking for some abundance from Jesus on that. This was beyond what we thought would happen. We take ownership in what we've done. But it still isn't fun, is it? You have debt accumulating. You have some money in the bank. Now, you can decide how much money you've got, but not much. So whatever that not much figure is, that's what you got. So if not much is $10, that's what you got. If for you not much is $10,000, that's what you got. But it's not much. And it doesn't really matter because everybody lives on a different economy. And 10001 one person can be gone like that, just like $10 can be gone like that. You've changed jobs and you're unsure about your salary. Now, in Houston, we know that this is happening quite often right now. You've been given, you've been, you have been giving about $1,000 a month to the church. Now, you can fill that in for whatever your normal practice is. Yesterday, you found out that your car just broke down And it's going to cost another thousand this month. Do you skip giving to church this month? Or do you push Jesus to the side? What would you do? Or what have you done? Do you actually give? Or do you push Jesus to the side? Next question, are you guys excited? (laughs) Isn't it fun? (laughs) It was kind of a trick, wasn't it? I'm sorry, it was a trick. But I hope this is speaking to your heart because I want you to really capture where you're living in scarcity and where God where Jesus specifically is inviting you into abundance. So you're stressed. Anyone been stressed? In the past, when you get stressed out, you would turn to having a drink, or maybe more than a drink, maybe one or two or three or four or more. But you have decided to give that pattern up You said a while back, this this isn't good. I'm not going to drink when I'm stressed. But you're stressed again and you have a choice. Call a friend and ask them for prayer. And secretly, or secretly, sneak a drink and then another and another. What do you do? call a friend, or take a drink, and another, another. So do you push the drink away, or do you push Jesus away? When you experience Jesus through his word, you either love him, hate him, or you just simply ignore him. So how do we push Jesus off the cliff? How are we like the people of Nazareth who, after they heard that Jesus had said something they didn't like, they decided, let's just get rid of him? How do we push him off the cliff in an area of our life where we don't want him? Where we're not ready for him to transform us in that area? Have we lived with such a scarcity mentality in that particular area of our life for so long that we're scared to walk in new life in abundance with him? Can we not even fathom what it'd be like to have him speak abundance in that area? For the people of Nazareth, they were burdened. And the last thing they wanted to hear is that he was going to put abundance on someone else. That was the last thing they wanted to hear. It was the last thing they wanted to hear that God's favor would rest on somebody else. And so they tried to push him away by pushing him off a cliff. For us, maybe it has to do with our faith. We've lived with such scarcity in our faith that we're scared to step in deeper with Jesus. Or maybe it's our health, or our relationships, or wisdom, or our finances. We're scared, we're scared, deep in here, to ask Jesus for help. Because that means there's going to be a step in a different direction from what we know the scariest thing to do is to go in the unknown. We're scared to ask those who represent him. Take a look around the room and say, would I be willing to speak to someone in here about the scarcity that I'm living right now? Am I willing to share that with them so that they can speak God's abundance in that area so that they can pray for the Holy Spirit himself to rest upon them. Oftentimes, we're scared to turn to our brothers and sisters, right? Because in those times of scarcity, we think there's nowhere else to turn but to ourselves. Those words, pray for me or help me or assist me, seem like they're unspeakable. We are scared to walk out of scarcity in a particular area and then walk into abundance. But what does it look like to actually take that leap into abundance? Well, it's awesome because we have a story in Scripture that speaks just about that. There's an example of a person who said that the abundance of Jesus is better than the scarcity I'm currently living in. The abundance of Jesus is better than the scarcity that I have right now. We find that in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked his boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy. Since he was a little boy, this guy had been living in the scarcity of having a relationship with his son. Since he was a little boy, this father. Was living in the scarcity of his son being healthy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Those of you who are parents, if you actually jump into the story and step into the shoes of this father, you know how broken his heart must have been. This is scarcity. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. How many times have you said that when he said a prayer? What do you mean, Jesus said, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Scarcity at this moment will be no more. Is what Jesus is saying. There will be abundance in my name. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. The father wasn't sure if Jesus was going to be the answer to his scarcity that he's living he didn't know if he was, by crying out to Jesus, if that would do anything. And maybe some of you are dealing with that same kind of issue of scarcity. Maybe some of you have seen your marriage begin to fall apart and you have been praying, help me if you can, God. God. Maybe you haven't spoken to one of your siblings, your sister or your brother for years. Or you're a parent and your kids are out of control and you don't know what to do. Maybe you need to cry out to Jesus for help. For some of you, maybe you've had a health issue that's been lingering for years. And your prayers have always included the if you can. Maybe you need to cry out for Jesus to help. Or maybe you have cried out for help. And you just need to have the words of that Father included in your prayer as well. Verse 24, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. when you're living in scarcity, whatever scarcity you're experiencing right now, you say the prayer, help me with my unbelief. Jesus, help my unbelief that you can save my marriage. Jesus, help my unbelief that you can heal my friend. Jesus, help my unbelief that you can free my daughter from addiction. Jesus, help my unbelief that I can live generously as you provide. Jesus, help my unbelief that you are really my Savior, that I am really a sinner in need of your forgiveness. The people of Nazareth didn't want to listen to Jesus. The question for you is, Do you want to listen to him? They didn't want him in their lives, and they tried to push him off a cliff. Do you want him in your life? Are you inviting him in, or are you pushing him away? Now, some of you have experienced this as you represent him. And so what happened to Jesus, we should expect may happen to us. You know, when I share with someone that the way you get out of debt is to give to God first, what do they think? They think I'm crazy. When I share with someone that, you know what, your marriage doesn't get better by focusing more on your spouse. It gets better by you focusing more on God. What do they think? I'm crazy. When I say, forgive the person who has deeply hurt you, crazy. Crazy. When I say, God will redeem your time when you give to him. When you put him first, he will redeem the time you've spent. What do they think? How many of you thought that I was crazy? (laughs) Right? When I tell someone not to seek revenge that God will take care of it if you let God do God's thing. They think, crazy. You will get pushed away. In fact, I will prophesy today that many of you will be pushed out of lives that you deeply care about. If we follow the ways of Jesus, we know that that will happen. We saw it happen with Jesus, with his own family. But there's a beautiful ending to that story that his mother, though she thought he was crazy, was there at the cross. She was there when he rose again. She was there when the church assembled on Pentecost. That his brother, who thought he was crazy, would lead the church after his resurrection. So some of those people that you see push you out of their lives because you represent the way, the truth, and the life. God isn't done with them, even when they're done with you. God isn't done with them, even when they are done with you. You will get pushed away. But like Jesus, do we fight back when we get pushed away? Do we fight back? No. We don't fight back. Do we put up a defense? No. If we follow Jesus, we look at verse 30. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. May we be a church that's willing to let God speak into our scarcity and live new life with him. That we don't so much hide our scarcity and think that, it's, that that is what God wants for us, that we don't seek his help. That we're patient to listen to him speak into our lives. Whatever it may be. Because he wants abundance for you. He wants you to see... A portion of the great abundance that's waiting for you when he comes again. Because each time he gives you a glimpse, or we would say a foretaste of that abundance, it means your testimony about what is coming will be even greater. So pray for that. And pray for him to help you in your unbelief. I have to. I have to ask, Lord, help me in my unbelief especially in the areas where I know I have scarcity. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning, those who are tempted to push Jesus away, that you would speak and breathe upon them with your spirit, that they would not be tempted to push him aside because they're scared of the transformation That only he can provide lord we pray that you would help us in our unbelief we surrender our will to the father's will and we ask that you help us step into the abundance of areas where god is calling us into as i pray right now if you are an individual who you have scarcity in your life in a particular area where you need the Lord to speak abundance into it. Just raise your hand, because I want to pray for you right now. Lord, where I'm scared, breathe your spirit upon me so that I may cry out for your help. And in that cry, Lord, help me to believe that you can do all things. Help me to believe that life with you is better than anywhere else. Break the strongholds of my life that I've been depending upon instead of you. Lord, help me to not return to the scarcity that I know so well, but instead to seek you and your spirit as you allow your favor to rest upon me. Give me patience as I wait. And Lord, I pray that as I seek you each day, that I would simply seek to be with you, knowing that life with you is better than anywhere else. It's in your name we pray. Amen.